Jesus was here and he walked in and he, you, you could just ask him for something, what, what would that be? You ever wondered that? I mean, we ask him for things all the time, right, in prayer. We go to him in prayer and a lot of our prayers are pretty much, that's the prayer time, is asking him for things. But if he was here and you could ask him for one thing, what, what would that be? I, I, I wonder about that sometimes. You know, would it be maybe direction for your life or curious about the end times or maybe your future or keys to success or, or how you could be a better father or something like that? I don't know. And, you know, thinking about when Jesus walked on this earth and he chose 12 disciples to be closest to him and he had other disciples and at different, different points in scripture, we see a number of 72, we see a 120, but those 12 were with him and traveled with him and slept in, you know, in the same area with him and they, they ate together and they shared life and ups and downs and they witnessed miracles and they saw all those things. And sometimes they get a bad rap in scripture. It's, have you noticed that? I mean, they make a lot of mistakes, and I think for us on this side of, of that time and having the whole of Scripture, sometimes we can get just a, just a little bit like we think we know more or we're better than them in a way because we see some of their failures, right? Can you think of any? Any? I mean, you, you see some of those and you, you think, how could they make such big mistakes? I mean, Peter's denial comes to mind immediately, you know, the night that Jesus was crucified, and then uh, Judas's betrayal, of course, that would rank high. And then Peter, I think sometimes of Peter, he walked on water, but then he, he looked away and sank down below. And, and um, you think about the disciples being fearful in the boat when Jesus is right there, but they didn't understand this power. And here they're worried about the waves, and they've got the one who created all the waves right there in the boat with them. And it's easy for us to think about them and some of their mistakes they made. And I think about doubting Thomas, and I think about, you know, when Jesus came and he said, you know, I had 5,000 people there, and he says, do we have anything to feed them? And everybody's, their disciples are like, what are you talking about? Now, they've seen him do other miracles, but they didn't think he could do that miracle. And sometimes I think we, we just look at them as making mistakes here and there. And sometimes we think about maybe not understanding what he was doing when they walk up and see him with the Samaritan woman or having questions about the parables or, you know what the one that gets me the most is when they send away the children. It's like, do they not know Jesus' heart? And when children come, they send them away? But, but having said all that, let's not be too quick to criticize them because, you know, when we look at that, I mean, it's unfair in a way because we see the whole of Scripture. But then the other thing is they get a lot of things right. The disciples got a lot of things right. And what I want to look at today is one little thing that, that they got really right. One little thing that maybe sometimes we miss, but they got right. It's, it's found in Luke 11.1. 1. This is just a little excerpt out of that verse. It says, they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to do the miracles you do. Lord, teach us how you walked on water. That was really cool. We want to do that too. Lord, teach us how to get big crowds of people to follow us. Lord, teach us how to grow a church. Lord, teach us how to get rich. Wouldn't wouldn't you have said something different than this? I mean, if you had Jesus right there, what would you ask him for? Here's what they ask him for. And it's not like they had not seen prayer modeled. They had seen it modeled. But they realized how important it was. So when they came to Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. That's humbling to me. It's humbling to me because I think sometimes we got it all figured out. We think we know. We think we have all this down. And the disciples who walked with him day in, day out, when they had a chance to ask him, they said, teach us to pray. And they did watch Jesus. They watched what he did. In Luke 5, 1, it tells us Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Often to the wilderness 
away from distractions, away from things that would, t- that, would, that would consume his time because it was that important. It was important enough to give him full attention. So many things in our life take, take, our, take our time and our distractions to us. But that doesn't end there. And another passage of scripture, he says, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I've done that a few times. Anybody else done that? Jesus did it often. And why would he do that before daybreak? Because he knew that if he could get his mind set on God first thing in the morning, it would, it would set the rest of his day off. Set it off. It would set it right. It would be the thing that would orient him for the rest of the day. <laughs> Doesn't end there, though. He went on a little further, and this is, this is the night he was crucified or the, that weekend. He says, went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground and he praying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will done, not mine. Wow. Do you realize what Jesus was asking here? Now, having the experience of seeing all of Scripture, we know how big of an ask this is. Have you ever had a big ask? Have you ever asked somebody something that you knew was big? I mean, you knew what you were asking was a big, big deal. Like I asked somebody to go somewhere and put on a tie this week, and they text me back, that's a big ask. And I chuckled a little bit knowing what we'd be talking about tonight. And in light of the fact that, you know, a tie is one thing, but Jesus was literally asking the Father... I know you've planned this plan of salvation. The Bible says from the beginning of time, and Jesus is the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth. But God, if there's any way, any way we could do it different, that was a big ask. A big, big ask. Now when I say that, you know what I want you to hear from that? You need to feel comfortable asking big things. I think we forget to do that sometimes. And I want you to hear me here. God wants you to ask big. And sometimes, not that we are insulting him per se, but a lot of times what we ask is not big. And I think there's good reason, because there's times when you've prayed and prayed and prayed and things haven't happened. So you, you tend to ask smaller because your faith has been, been beaten down a little bit. And I think there's times where maybe you don't feel like you're worthy of a big, big ask. But what I'm trying to tell you today is that Jesus himself was not shy from asking the Father for something huge, huge, he asked. You need to ask. I don't know what in your life would be a measure this way. I mean, I was being silly about a tie. I don't know what it is in your life, but what would be a big ask? Something to think about, too, is just just looking at this for a minute, Jesus for sure saw that, that he was humble, and he said, not my will, but yours be done. How many times do we go to God and, and just tell him what we want, and we never stop and think, is it just me, or maybe he wants something different? I mean, really. And I know he gives us the desires of our heart. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask. What I'm saying is, be, be humble like Jesus, and in the middle of it, say, but your will needs to be done. And I need to check and see, is what I want really what he wants? Because you know what? For, for sure, I know what I want. And I can just run what I want, what I want all day long. And it's easy for me never to stop and think, what does he want? Because what he wants is way better than what I want. And there's times where I go to him and I say, are you sure you know what you're doing? Because 
Here's what I would do, and if you would do it my way, it would be like this, this, and this, and this. And of course, I don't say it that way, but in my heart, it's that way. And I, I don't mean it to be rude like that, but I imply that he doesn't know what he's doing, and I know what's better. And if he would just do it my way, maybe he could call me or email me or text me, and I would just tell him how to fix it. And I never stop and think, maybe he, maybe he knows better, and he knows behind, and he knows before, and he knows inside and outside, and he knows everything more than what I know. But still ask. Still ask big and then say, but God, your will be done. Because his will is better than our will. Gets better. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. And then night fell while he was there alone. Who did he send home? Those disciples who asked him how to pray. You know what I think about that? When I read that, it amazes me. Who, who needed to pray more, Jesus or the disciples, you think? I mean, really, I mean, I'm looking at it like, wait a minute, you got the son of God, the son of God, and he's sending them away, say, boys, I got work to do. I got to go to overtime. I'm going to go work and pray. Why didn't they say, wait, 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 Jesus, if you need to pray, we need to pray and we're going too. Now, maybe they did do that later because they asked him how to pray. But the fact is, he did more above and beyond and more. It reminds me, it reminds me of those kind of those legends about Michael Jordan, you know, being that superstar, and yet he was the one that would stay after practice and shoot, fruit, shoot free throws. I mean, really, did the superstar need to do that? Yeah, that's why he's a superstar. And the fact is, Jesus modeled that for us. If he needs to pray and go beyond extra, then we need to do the same thing. I mean, one more little, one more little example here. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Wow. Talk about overtime. Talk about praying through. Wow. Overtime. Spent the night. When's the last time we did that? You did that. Let me, let me take you to a story in Scripture that maybe you've never, maybe never, you've never aligned with what we just talked about. But remember what we were saying. The disciples could have asked for a lot of things. But they ask, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. And this is after that model. They'd seen this model. Now we're going to fast forward quite a few years. We're going to fast forward to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at somebody who, he's not a disciple. He didn't spend all this time with Jesus. He didn't ask Jesus how to pray. He didn't get to see Jesus modeling prayer, staying up all night, getting up early before it was even light. He didn't see Jesus doing these things. He didn't have that advantage. Speaking of advantage, who in their stories have any more advantage than us? We've read the whole thing. We see it over and over, and we've heard sermon after sermon after sermon. But, but we're going to look at somebody who not only that, he wasn't even a Christian technically at this point in the story. Not only that, he wasn't even a Jew. He didn't have all that cultural heritage and experience behind him. But I want you to see how he is described and what happens in his life. So looking at Acts chapter 10, in Caesarea there lived a Roman centurion named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. And I, I know that a lot of us are familiar with, with Roman history. And the fact is that you know, there, was, there was a lot of things that they did were wrong and a lot of things that they did were right. One of the things they did really well was, was control people. And the way they did that is with their army. 
And you've probably heard this, you know, you've heard this terminology before, and maybe you just don't know. I just want you to understand who this guy was and, and really how important he was and how, how much he had achieved. Because in, in the Roman, the way that they did their army is a legion would be 6,000 men, 6,000 soldiers. Now, most of those soldiers had to uh, leave family. A lot, of them, a lot of them joined the army so that they become citizens. There was a lot involved in that. But they had the legion. Then the legion would have been broken down from there into 10 regiments of 600 men. So when it says there he was in charge of the Italian regiment, that meant that he was in charge of, uh, he was the captain of the regiment. Now, he was a centurion over 100 men himself, but he was in charge of the entire regiment, 600 men. That was a very elevated position. And just in case you're curious, or maybe, I mean, there was an Augustan regiment at this time. There was also the Imperial Regiment. I know most of us are thinking Star Wars right there, but that's probably where he got that terminology. Carefully selected, decided on because of their character and their skill and their leadership and their prowess. And if you didn't perform well, there was always somebody right behind you ready to take your place, either by force or by promotion itself. And here's, I want you to look at this description. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. Let's, let's, just, let's just pull this apart for just a second. When it says he was a devout, God-fearing man, it's, it's very clear that he was not a Christian, it would have said so, and he also was not a Jew. But what he was was somebody who was seeking God. He was somebody who was really on the beginning of the spiritual journey, and he was trying to find God. It does not say that he followed the Greek and Roman gods, and that's very specific. He was following the God that we serve, but he didn't quite know him yet. Do you remember when you were there? Maybe not. Some of you have probably been in, in Christianity a long time. I almost said some of you have been in the way, and that sounds bad, and I mean it that way. The fact is, he was new at this. Maybe like someone that got baptized today. He was new. He was just coming to the faith. But it says here that he led his household and everyone in his household were also God-fearing and devout. And he gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. He prayed regularly. He already prayed regularly. You know what I would love? I would love if somebody were to describe me that that's one of the things they would use to describe me. But I don't know if people would. And I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just saying his life was characterized by this. And then it goes on to say, it goes on to say, after this slide, one afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Three o'clock. Anybody here pray at three o'clock? What would he be doing at three o'clock? Why would he pray at three o'clock? Why he would pray at three o'clock is because that was a Jewish time of prayer. He was proselytizing as a Jew. He was becoming following that faith as a Gentile believer. He was trying to do what they did. And at three o'clock, you could count on him to pray. He prayed regularly, three o'clock. I'm gonna say something here. I've never seen an angel. But what Paul does, or Luke does as he's writing this, he points out the fact that he was a devout person. He prayed regularly. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Actually, I'm not. Actually, I'm gonna tell you this. Look at this. Regular prayer will produce irregular events regularly. Can you say that with me? Let's leave that parentheses uh, term right there out for just a second. Can we say it together? Regular prayer will produce irregular events regularly. 
I believe that. I believe that. And what I mean by irregular is God-type events. The thing is, you know, you, you ever heard that saying that you show me your friends and I'll show you your future? You ever heard that before? I've heard it said like this, that the five people you spend the most time with, you're going to be a compilation of their characters. You know what? If you're spending time with God, that's who you're going to be like. If you're spending time with him, you're going to know him. If all you're doing in your life is just saying, God, I want you to do this, 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 and this for me, and that's it, then your life will not be like this. But regular prayer will produce irregular events regularly. Because that's who God is. And the more time you spend with him, that's why Jesus spent time. It, it shows in the life and the fruit of what he did. It was a time thing. It was a commitment thing, something that he chose to do regularly. <laughs> regularly. <clears throat> I look at it like this. It's a difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. You do good things, all of y'all. I know, I know a lot of you who do amazing things, and I'm impressed with every one of those things. But I guess what? No matter what, the thing is, God can do better. And as you go and you involve him in what's going on, he will do better. 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 God sent an angel. Anybody here seen an angel? I mean, that you know of? Yeah, I saw a couple of you guys turn to your wife and try to get some points there. I saw that. I really did. I wasn't even thinking that, but I did see that. Like, hey, baby. All right, that's not what I'm talking about. Here, I've had people say this. They'll look at Scripture and they'll say, how come God doesn't do the things he did in Scripture? And I understand what they're saying. Let me ask you another question. How many times did people see angels in Scripture? You doing the math in your head? It's not that many. Not when you're talking about 66 books spanning 1,500 years. And we don't know of every experience of that. I'm just saying that not that many are recorded. Here's what I am saying. The reason I mention this at all is because... I've never seen an angel, and I'm not against seeing angels, but I'll tell you this. God's timing and God's favor goes along with people who pray. It just does. And why he chose to, to show an angel to this, this not quite a Christian, not quite a Jew, Gentile follower of Christ, I think had more to do with the way he was introduced and described than anything else because he was devout, God-fearing, and prayed regularly. I think that's true. And whether God shows you an angel or not is really irrelevant because angels are really supposed to be just messengers of God. They don't, they don't actually come and, and uh, teach us things, that kind of thing. And I showed this Wednesday night, but this scripture in Hebrews, I love this, because don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For, someone who have, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing, and I challenge people to treat everybody you see like an angel. I hope you do that. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. Some people get caught up here and like, what did he think that was God? Well, okay, if you're a Gentile raised in an environment with, with uh, Greek and Roman gods and you're trying to follow this, what would you think? Because really, the Bible always describes angels as looking like men dressed in glowing clothes of the day, whatever that day was. Okay, so, I mean, what would you think? I mean, I, I don't know what I would call an angel, but I would be, I'm not sure. The, angels answer, the angel answered and says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial before God. We tend to forget, don't we? 
what we should remember and remember what we should forget. I feel like there's times where we go to God with prayer and we forget that those prayers God sees as memorials. Do you ever think about this, that prayer doesn't have an expiration date? I think that's why the writer uses this word as a memorial. Uh, think about all the things in your life, and, and we, this is just, you just have to wonder, but I wonder how many of the blessings, even you following Christ today, might be the result of a praying mother or grandmother or father or somebody in your life who cared enough to remember you to the Lord and say, God, please guide my child. God, please bless them, provide for them, give them what they need. Do you realize that? That those prayers are up before God? And he's not limited like us where he forgets. We forget things, right? You go to the grocery store and you think, oh, I should have wrote that down. I have no idea what I'm here for, right? And our God does not. Because he's God, he's capable of remembering every request for every person and answering it perfectly for them in ways you couldn't even have imagined, ever. Because that's who he is, and he loves you, and he cares about you, and he knows what you need. He's a God like that. But the key is, we go, we pray, we pray, and we forget things. I think, I found this quote by Charles Spurgeon this week, and it just blew me away. We are too prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in sand. We forget, but God doesn't forget. And the thing is, there's so many times where you have gone to him and he has answered prayer and blessed you and, and you know it's true, but then we, we just, it's, I don't know, it slips our mind. It's just, it's weird how that goes. And then we run into the next trial and we engrave it in marble and we look at, look at all my problems, look at all these things that are going wrong and what can't anything line up right and what, God, what is happening? And he's got all these things he's done for you and, and we just forget. We forget. Mention that God, that prayer doesn't have an expiration date. Do you have people who pray for you regularly? Do you ask people to pray? You should. You should. You should enlist people to pray for your needs. And I know there's times where maybe it's something you're thinking, I am embarrassed to even ask for this. And, and we get embarrassed for a lot of reasons. Maybe it's guilt or, or maybe it's kind of that comparison thing and we think it's maybe not that big a deal to them or they've got other things that are bigger or, or you don't think you're worth them remembering in prayer. But let me just tell you this. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to pray for each other, lift each other up. We're supposed to be a tie that binds and we hold each other up in prayer and we carry each other over those rough times. I want to encourage you to build a prayer team of your own to do that. Continuing with the story, uh, the angel says to to, uh, Cornelius, now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. Summon a man named Simon Peter. What do you think he was thinking? I mean, he's a, he's a Roman centurion. I wonder, I, just me, okay, just me. I wonder, I mean, he, if he was a Roman centurion, he was probably a very self-reliant guy, don't you think? If I was him, now this is just me, I'm, I'm, I might have said, why do I need Peter? You're standing right here. You're an angel, Right? Wouldn't you have done that? Anybody? Just me? Is it me? I, would have, I might have said, uh, I don't need anybody. I'm a Roman centurion. You ever do that? I mean, right? we would never really do that, right? We would never tell God, no, I got this. I'm good. But then we don't ask him. 
You say you wouldn't do that, but then practically you do because you don't go to him in prayer when you need him and you don't go to your friends and family and those brothers and sisters in Christ who care about you and have them join you in prayer. In in effect, you're saying, it's okay, God, I got this. I'm good. I can walk on my own. He didn't create us to be that way, and he doesn't want us to be that way. Instead, what Cornelius had to do was step out in faith because there's times where you're going to have to follow what God asks you to do, and it's not going to feel comfortable. By definition, you're going to be out of your comfort zone. By definition, it's not going to be what you want to do. By definition, it may not be something that you chose to do or would choose to do if everything was up to you. I, I am one of those people, I'll just be honest, I, I don't want to be helpless, I don't want to have people need to help me, I want to help them, I want to be the helper, not the helpee, and that's okay, but there's times where God tells you, you need to step out and do what I told you to do, I love this too, because Cornelius needed not only to trust God's voice, but then look what he does here, as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and, and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he sent them on their way. It was immediate obedience. And again, I think about him being a Roman centurion. That's what he expected, and that's what he did. In his own line of work, it had to be obedience, and it had to be immediate. And when he was commanded by the angel, he just stepped in line and said, yes, sir, and he did it. Man, I wish we could be more like that. I wish I could be more like that. I wish I could be somebody who, who, who every time God called, I heard, and I responded right when he said Because there's times when I I hesitate and I wonder, God, was that me? Were you telling me this? Or is it just me? And I wonder sometimes, God, is this what you're trying to do or am I confused? Or or what's going on? And I I go back and forth with it. And I I think, God, I want to be more faithful. I want to be more clear. And I want to do what you want me to do. And I want to do it. Sometimes, too, it's frustrating because we need to trust God's voice, but at the same time, we, we're not sure what his voice is. And there's times when God speaks to us in so many different ways, maybe through a song. I know he spoke to me through that, that worship song today. And, and he, he said we need to trust. And um, I got a text from Frank this morning, and he, he had a word from the Lord for me this morning. It wasn't for the church, it was just for me. And I really appreciate that when God speaks that way. And there's times where we have... Um, where God does speak to our church. And it, it gets difficult when we have you know, so much going on. I know a couple weeks ago, there was a time where I, I could hear, I think it was Jim maybe speaking, and then the worship team couldn't hear, and then Richard spoke. And it's interesting because I know God wants to speak to us at times, but you know, functionally, as the size of our church and the sound, I mean, there's times where, like I appreciate when they let me know, hey, I feel like God's speaking this to the congregation so then I can share it with the congregation. Because there's times just with the size and change of, of the way we are. Because, you know, when, when the New Testament was new, they were meeting in homes. It was like you were just speaking across the table, which is different than speaking in a room with a, a few hundred people. God speaks. Sometimes he speaks through your wife. Anybody else have that happening in their lives? Sometimes he speaks through uh, scripture itself as you're reading and he illuminates something. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's just a small voice or an impression. But Cornelius obeyed immediately. Immediately. And then the the story goes on. It says, the next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray, and it was about noon. He was hungry, 
But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. I love this. He, he goes up there. He's hungry. He's waiting for lunch. But he decides he's going to pray. Another guy praying. Do you see the point in the story? Do you see how this theme goes through it? He's praying. And he goes into a trance. And it's interesting because, you know, the trance he sees is, is something very specific that God needed to communicate to him. He went up on the roof to pray. And as he was praying, God spoke to him. You know what? Let me just be honest. There's a lot of times where me and other people I've heard say, I just need to hear from God. But are you praying? I know we need to hear from God, but are you talking to him? Because there's times where we want to hear from him, but we want to hear from him in a certain way that doesn't involve much effort on my part. (laughs) I mean, I want to hear from you, but I'm not going to call you. I mean, I want to hear from you, but I'm not going to spend time with you. I mean, I want to hear from you, but I'm not going to go and do what I need to do to actually hear you and know you and know your voice. And that's what we need to do. There's times where you're not going to hear his voice. And just like that third song we sang, that you have to rely on the fact that he is there and knows you. (laughs) Here's the bottom line. You make time for what's important to you. There's a lot of things important in life, right? Right? I mean, we've got kids, we've got jobs, we've got, we've got things to do and places to be and people to talk to. But you do make time for what's important to you. And that's what Peter did. He went up and he prayed. I love this. He was waiting for lunch and he used that time to talk to God. You can do the same thing. If it's important to you, you'll make time for it. That's just the way it is. Peter falls into a trance. The sheet is lowered And uh, inside the sheet were all these animals that Jews were not allowed to eat. And you're probably familiar with the fact that the Jews had very specific, and they still do, very specific dietary laws. And it, it excluded a lot of animals that a lot of people in the world eat, but they were not allowed to eat them. And in, in the Bible, it actually says that there were things slithering, and it had to be quite a, quite a look. And the voice says, kill and eat. And Peter says, No. No, I can't. I've never eaten any of this stuff. I'm not going to eat it. It's really funny. Look at what he says. No, Lord. He knows who he's talking to. This is, not like, this is not like Cornelius. Peter knows. He says, no, Lord. Anybody else said no, Lord, before? When you say that again, make sure I'm not near you when you say that. Because he says, no, Lord. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again and said, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love the humor that's in the Bible, don't you? It's funny. Can you imagine this? I want want you to see what's happening here. He's telling God he can't do what God told him to do because of how he's interpreted what God told him to do 2,000 years ago. He should have been saying, he should have said, God, are you changing your mind now on that other stuff? Because if you are, okay, I'll do whatever you say. Instead, he says, no, Lord, our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean these things that you just told me to eat. (laughs) We do the same thing. We do. We say, wait, God, you can't move like that because you didn't move like that before. We say, God, you can't talk to that person because they're not good enough. They're not like me. We say, God, oh, you can't do that that way. And he says, oh, yes, I can. And don't tell me I can't. That's what he says. You can't use that music. You can't have these chairs this color. And not in my church. And he says, whose church? He says, number one, it's my church. And then he says, number two, it's you are the church. 
Oh, man. This uh, verse right here. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete and now out of date and will soon disappear. Peter, Peter needed a personal lesson in that. A personal lesson in that. Here's the next lesson he learned. You argue with God, you lose. You do. But it's actually really cool, though, because when you lose, you win. The thing is, you're losing to the one who wants the best for you in the first place. He knows what's best for you, and he's arranged this in a way so that that maybe you need to learn something or maybe you need to change something. But the fact is, what he's doing for you is the best thing. And for you, you're arguing with him, saying, no, God, it needs to be like this. And he's saying, child, will you listen to me? I care about you. I know what's best for you. It's that same frustration you have with maybe one of your teenagers. And they're arguing with you, and you're thinking, oh, child, I love you. You don't know the world like I know the world. I'm trying to save you from heartache and pain. And they don't see it. (laughs) So funny. You know what I love about this, too? It's one of those things that shows us that Scripture is true, because if this was all made-up stuff, they would have made themselves look better, don't you think? Don't you think Peter would have made himself look better had, had he been trying to make all this up? But in fact, what it does is just shows us in, in the reality of who they were, and it just tells you the truth and the story. And the story shows us that they're just like us. It's funny about that, because there's so many times where we, we go to God and we, we want him to do certain things, but the fact is, the fact is, he knows what's best for us at every turn. When you argue with him, you lose, but when you lose... You win. And the voice spoke to him three more times. Man, I I pray sometimes, God, if I'm missing it, can you please speak to me three times too? And I don't know if he did it just because it was Peter and he was hard-headed, but I'm like that too. Then the voice says, don't hesitate. There's some people at the gate looking for you. And then it's such a cool story because Peter puts it all together and he realizes that That not only is all that food no longer forbidden, but that God is for everybody. Because the Jews had excluded everybody but Jews from God. And even in the early church at this point, it was just Jews. They were only preaching to Jews. And Peter put it all together. And when he got that, he heard that there was someone knocking on the door. He comes downstairs and he says, they're for me. They're here for me. And it's three Gentiles who they're not supposed to even let in their homes And Peter takes him in, and then Peter goes with him, and he takes two Jews with him. And not only do they go into the Gentiles' house, but they eat with them and they stay with them. That was huge. And literally, I love this part. It says, as Peter entered the house, he entered the house. Can I have the worship team come on up and join me up here? What's so big about that is Peter realized Because of all of this, God had orchestrated this huge, elaborate thing to let Peter see that everybody was welcome in the kingdom, not just Jews. Now, that's a big story to tell us that God wants us to pray and spend time with us. But it doesn't stop there. What it does is it shows us that God is for everyone and not limited just to the people we think he's limited to. It it, it's amazing because the next, these two verses I'm going to show you here, even as Peter was saying these things and the things he was saying them, he, he laid out the entire gospel for them because they had not yet heard all of those things. And he told them how it works. And he said, guys, you need to understand that our sins have separated us from God and that nothing we could do could bring us into God. So instead, what God did is sacrifice his own son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sins so that now we can come into God's presence And when he said we, he meant we, 
maybe for the first time. Because before that, what he thought was we was just Jews. And now he said, no, it's everybody. It's me and you, we, all of us can come in. And then it says this, that the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. He was amazed. You know what I like to think of when I see that verse? God has blessings for you in categories that you can't comprehend. He has blessings for people you're praying for in categories that you can't comprehend and things that you may not think they deserve. Ooh. You might think, man, you don't know, Pastor, what they've done. I don't know. It's going to take a lot for them to change. You know what? God can change things in a minute that, that you couldn't change in years. You know what? It's up to him to forgive and redeem and change. It's up to us to share the message and live it before them and for us to pray regularly so that God will do irregular things. Here's our challenge for you today. It's a big challenge, but I know it's something that you're up for. First thing, you need to talk to him regularly. Then you need to listen, and then you need to trust. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a minute. And I'm... I ask people to do that just so we can have just this sense of privacy in a room. And what I would like is for you just to imagine it's just you and, and God. And I'm just a voice that's asking you questions so that can direct you into thinking about what he wants to say and do in your life. I believe there's people here today who needed to hear a few things in the sermon. There's times where I write something down and I think, I don't know about that, God. And he says, I do. I'm like, oh, okay. I believe there's somebody here who, who you've been praying for something and it's just not happening. And you're thinking, God, do you know where I'm at? And he might not be sending an angel, but what he's sending you is this word from him today to say, I know where you're at. And I'm asking you to come into deeper relationship with me and I will walk you through this problem. Anybody feeling that today? If you just raise your hand, I see those hands, I do. <laughs> I think there's somebody here today too who you, you're further along than Cornelius was. I mean, you know what's going on and you've accepted Jesus, but you've, you've kind of let your relationship drift a little bit and when it talks about how you prayed regularly and for you, you've maybe gotten to a point where you're a little frustrated because you've prayed, but nothing's happening. And what he's calling you to is to pray regularly because there's going to be irregular things he's going to do. But it's based on that relationship. It's for him and you. He wants more. Anybody like that here today? I do see those hands. Let me ask probably the most important question we could ever ask, and that is, maybe you're here today and you know, as we've been talking, you're, you've been hearing what's going on and thinking certain things, and maybe you've been feeling an impression that y you don't really know this God we're talking about and don't have that relationship. And when I explain the fact that we've all been separated from him by things that we have done, and that God himself paid the price with Jesus, you're thinking, really, he did that for me? And I'm saying to you, yes, he did. And that if you would accept that into your life, and ask him to forgive you that he would come in and make your whole world new. Not saying he would take away, you know, every problem overnight and, and you walk on clouds. That's not what I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is that he would then have a relationship with you forever. Anybody want to start that today? That maybe for the first time you'd like to raise your hand and we could pray with you? Anybody at all? If you just raise your hand, we'll pray with you today. All right, here's what we're going to do. If, um, if I could have you just stand for a moment. And uh, I'm going to invite anybody who would like prayer for any of these things we talked about for just a few minutes. If you would like to come down to the front that we could pray with you. And then Pastor Jeremy will close the service in a second here. But if you'd like prayer, I'd like you just to come down right now as the worship team leads us in a song. <clears throat> Oh